First of all, to Matthew chapter 1, it's the first book in the New Testament, and um, if you can, go there with me, Matthew chapter 1, great to be together this morning, again, thank you for your prayers and your support as this past Wednesday, as we talked a little bit about on Wednesday night, we did have our Ripe for Revival mobile market here in our parking lot. And we're grateful for the opportunity to interact with people from our community. And we will do that again. Again, I've told you before, it's a pay-what-you-can mobile market. Uh, We'll do that again on November the 2nd, which is a Thursday, beginning at 1 o'clock. So, first of all, briefly, we're in Matthew chapter 1. And the title this morning is God's Grace... The Dying Sinful Wretches. And then I've got a subtitle. A Lying Pagan Prostitute. Rahab the Saint. God's Grace to Dying Sinful Wretches. So just look with me at Matthew chapter 1. Look uh, at verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. It says... So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Uh, You go back up to verse 1. And it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... So what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the ancestors of the Messiah. It says in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And then you get to verse 5, and it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. So again, we see the ancestors of Messiah Jesus. And I highlight for you just one more time, verse 5, the father of Boaz by Rahab. So now we're back. You can be done with that. Find your place again where Wilson read for us, Joshua chapter 2, the sixth book of the Bible, book number 6. First five books are the books of Moses. Joshua chapter 2. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would help us. Help us now as we open your word. Pray for boldness and all humility. Lord, we thank you that as we see throughout your word in places like Matthew chapter 20, Lord, help us to see here in Joshua chapter 2 that your grace is a surprising, sovereign grace. So Lord, help us and keep us from just uh, just agreeing to 
grace. Help us from not only that we would say, yeah, we're, we're the people, we're the church who, who really believes in grace. But Lord, help us to really see. And even, even to biblically know, biblically experience your sovereign and surprising grace. Please help us, Lord, to know that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you that this meal, this table that we will uh, later come to, thank you that it preaches to us and that we proclaim, we preach as we take it. Lord, help us to focus on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We pray for your help through the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 2. Hebrews says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By the way, that's Hebrews 11.31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Uh, One pastor gave uh, a cheesy title to his sermon on Joshua chapter 2 on Rahab, and he entitled it, uh, Rated R for Redemption. A little cheesy, but I guess it gets the point across. One thing we need to say from the outset here and make clear is that the church is only for respectable, clean, middle-class people. The church is only for respectable, clean, middle-class people. So hopefully you know where I'm going with this. If that were true, if that were true, that would be like, listen, that would be like saying that hospitals are only for doctors, nurses, and x-ray machines instead of sick people. You get it? You get it, right? Or to say it the other way, to say that hospitals are only for doctors, nurses, and x-ray machines and not sick people would be like saying that the church is only for respectable, clean, middle-class people. Hey, you're here this morning, you feel like you've got a checkered past, or a checkered present, we're glad you're here. Or, and this, I get this from, uh, from Dale Ralph Davis, he says, it's like saying, listen, it's like saying that only morticians and coroners belong in morgues instead of dead people. Who belongs in a morgue? The most obvious would be dead people. Who then should be in the church but sinners? Who then should be in the church but sinners? He says this, The church is not a club, but a refuge for sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. 
Apparently, Rahab's past did not bother the writer of the first gospel. What's the first gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's what we just read. Matthew seemed to see in Rahab a trophy of divine grace. Astounding, isn't it, that the shady lady of Jericho should be the ancestress of Jesus the Messiah. So let's talk about a shady lady this morning. And let's remember from Matthew chapter 1 that she is the ancestress of Jesus Messiah. Now when you come to this story, which I was reminded by my own children, uh, was taught in Praise Factory sometime last year, and I want you all, boys and girls, to listen carefully this morning, okay? When you come to this wonderful story, and again, our title is God's Grace to Dying Sinful Wretches, and in the mirror of God's Word this morning, we should not We should certainly not just say, oh, look at how bad she is. We should see in her uh, ourselves. We see a lying pagan prostitute, Rahab the saint. Rahab the saint. When you come to this story, which children know, and which if you don't know, you're you're in for a treat at this wonderful story of God's word in Joshua chapter 2. You do come to another story, another narrative in the word of God where, once again, we have somebody lying. Somebody who, who in the New Testament is held up as, you know, as an imperfect hero. Let's be clear about that. In the New Testament, they're held up as an imperfect hero. Emphasis on imperfect. But you have the whole Bible. The whole Bible is crystal clear that lying is really never permitted. You know, especially in the explicit commands of Scripture. In the, in the explicit commands, like in the epistles. You know, speak the truth to one another. Put your lying. Lying is never permitted. But we have another story, because this is not the only one, where we have someone who is a believer in God, and part of the story is lying. Now, it's been said, it's been well said, it's been well said that in stories like this, we focus so much and we, we debate. And maybe I've already talked about it too much because we focus so much on her lying and what about that, what about that? But we miss her truth. We miss Rahab's truth because we might be too busy focusing on the lie. For one thing, just remember, this is a narrative. It's a true story. It's a true story, but it's a story. And the author is not commenting one way or the other. It is though he deliberately is silent about this issue because that's not his point. The point, as we will see, is the truth that she confesses. It's like this. It's like Davis says. It's like the, uh, the wife who says to her husband, come here, and she opens the refrigerator door to show him the beautiful salad and dessert that she has prepared for a long time and very carefully for their guests. Look, honey, it, this is this is what I'm going to serve them. Worked so hard, and all he does is scratches the top of the fridge and walks away mumbling, "There's a good bit of dirt on top of this fridge." Well, he's missed the whole point. He's ignored his wife, who has the joy of sharing to him. Look what I've been doing, and all he's concerned about is 
all of this dirt that's piled up on the top of the fridge. No, lying matters to God, but it's as though the author, the narrator here is deliberately not saying one thing or the other about it. It does not mean that he's condoning it, but it means that in the center of this passage, we want to see her truth. And very simply this morning, let's just spend most of the time looking at Rahab in the Old Testament and a little bit of time looking at Rahab in the New Testament. But the main thing is this. Listen to this. The fate of an unlikely convert. That's the main thing in all of it. That's the simple, that's the simple theme. The faith of an unlikely convert. And more than that, the God who opened her heart to have this faith in the first place. This story is about Rahab, and it is about Rahab's God. And it is about, like, uh, one place you could compare notes would be Matthew 20, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Sovereign, surprising grace. Sovereign, surprising grace. Joshua chapter 2. Look at it. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Joshua 2.2, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Just notice that, by the way, the woman had taken. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they they were from. That's uh, deception, right? It's deception. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Hey, hey, pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6 of Joshua chapter 2. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. That's Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And if you noticed in what we just read, there at the end of that first paragraph, at the end of that section, what did it say in verse 7? It said that the the gates were shut as soon as the pursuers went out. So so we should get into this story. We we should the, the stories, the narratives, the true stories of the Bible, they're not just for four year olds, they are, but they're for all of us. We should get into this story, and if we're in it at all, we should be thinking, okay, this is a a predicament. Because what's just happened and what we've just read is that they escaped uh, a near-death situation only to have the gates locked, and here they are, do you see, at the end of verse 7, they're trapped. What's the old phrase, you know, you go from the... 
I don't know, from the fire into something, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, But they've gone from one perilous situation right into the other. So Rahab is, as we see, if you if you don't want to just go out and say lying, which is which is what it is, she's a deceptive pagan or Gentile. By the way, she's a Canaanite. By the way, the Bible itself had said, you now get this, this is gonna be important. You must destroy them. Like don't don't spare any of them. Destroy them all. Why are they going to let her live later on? If the, if the Bible said the, these Canaanites are wicked and it's because of their... It's not just, it's not just a, you know, a, a capricious God who's like God's sovereignty means I'm just going to randomly kill people. No, no, God had said I, I am going to be actually patient and let their wickedness come to its full measure and when their evil and wickedness... You see, none of us deserves God's mercy. All of us, all of us, the cleanest, the most middle class, respectable Christian deserves the wrath of God because we're all sinners. You see, if God gives us what we deserve, then we get damnation and hell and judgment. No, God was only giving these pagan Canaanites what their sin was was asking for. God is sovereign over everything including over human belief and unbelief. And so she is a deceptive, pagan, Gentile, Canaanite harlot. And there's even discussion, you know, well, there's two, there's two different types of prostitutes in the Old Testament. There was the, the cult prostitute who was like the, the holy prostitute. And the Bible really, at the end of the day, whether you're a holy harlot or a regular prostitute, according to the Jewish mindset, it was all immoral and it was all sinful. And they came to her, the leaders of Jericho came to her and said, hey, these men are spies, they've come to you, bring them out to us. And she deceives them because the men are still in her house, right? And she says, they did come to me. You know, it seems to everybody, although this is not what we should read into the story, this is not what we should read, it seems to everybody they came to her for prostitution. That's not what the text tells us exactly at all. She said, yeah, they came to me. I did not know where they were from. You're so mad because they're from Israel. I didn't know where they were from. And they, and they left. And, you know, so why don't you, uh, why don't you go chase them while you still have a chance? They couldn't have gotten that far away. Why don't you pursue them? And so it's also, as it's been pointed out, this story lampoons the king of Jericho. This story makes fun of him because he, he listens to a woman of the night This king of Jericho listens to a disreputable woman who was nothing to them. He takes her advice, and they go out to pursue the two spies on a fool's errand. And then as the story goes on, as we're going to see, she has already hidden them on her roof. Her house is either part of the wall or built into the wall of Jericho. And there's flax, and she's hidden them among the flax. And she's going to, listen, she's going to go up to them. She's going to talk to them. She's going to give them her testimony. And she's going to say, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. And she is going to say, uh, I need you to help me. And can I take it a step further? I need you to swear an oath. Would you swear an oath? And they say, 
our lives for yours. Our lives for yours. She says, here's what you need to do. I'm going to let you down by a rope. There's going to, listen, there's going to be a rope and a thread. A rope and a thread. The first thing is the rope. She's going to let them down through the wall because her house is built into the wall. She's going to let them down by a rope. And she said, you need to go, you need to, go to the hills. Think the sound of music, right? She said, you need to go to the hills and you need to escape and you need to stay there for three days. And three days will be plenty of time, she's basically saying, so that when my people who were hardened in their disbelief, the text says all the people had melted, their hearts had melted because of this great God. Only Rahab and her family had their hearts melted to the point of said, when my people who are stubborn and and in unbelief, those are my words, when they come back, three days will give you plenty of time, and there's a rope and there's a thread. Look at it with me. Look at verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. Stop. Pause. Go back up to the end of verse 7. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. I've already said, if we're into this story at all, if we're, if we're getting it, if we're in it, and we want to be in it, then there's a big, like, what is going to happen here at the end of verse 7? Here's what happens. Verse 15, she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Listen, it's very likely that at this very time, the people of Israel were observing the Passover, which does have some similarities to what they've just told her to do. with me not that's okay i'll explain it more verse 19 then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street this is the these are the two israel israelite spies speaking to rahab if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless but if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house his blood shall be on our head i I just got to tell you again remember the passover stay in the house Blood over the door frame. Remember that? Verse 20. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Uh, They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So there's the story. Remember what we're doing. Remember we're looking uh, more so 
We're looking more so at Rahab in the Old Testament. In Joshua chapter 2. And then we're going to look briefly at Rahab or Joshua chapter 2 in the New Testament. And remember, just the simple thing through this all. The faith of an unlikely convert. And the God who gave her that faith. And so there's the story. But it is though, listen to me, it's as though the narrator purposefully puts right in the middle of his story the most important thing. Because the most important thing is not to say, well, what do we do with the fact that this, that this believer lied? She was, she was clearly deceptive. What do we do about that? According to the author, he's certainly not condoning it, but that's not the point. The point is Rahab's truth and not her lie. So look at verses 8 through 14. Look at her testimony. Look at her confession. Look at her confession. The reason this is the most important thing about this story, listen to me, is because the Old Testament is not primarily moral lessons so that you can look at David and you can go out today and kill the Goliaths in your life. That's not how we teach you. We don't teach, look at Rahab and you go out and do likewise. The point of this story is the God of all grace. And then we can learn moral lessons. And then we can learn moral lessons. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And said to the men, I know that the Lord Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. How does she say this if God, like Lydia in the New Testament, did not open her eyes? Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, Rahab is talking to the spies. Verse 11. Verse 11, you might want to circle it or underline it. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives to death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land... When the Lord gives us the land, they're confident. We will deal kindly and faithfully with you. We know that in Revelation chapter 5, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on that day will be the blood-bought people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we also know not only from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, but from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that God had a special plan for his people Israel, but that plan included the blessing of the nations through Abraham Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And here we see clearly that the Gentiles, Romans chapter 4, the Gentiles will be, listen, justified by faith. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Rahab. Gave a friendly welcome to the spies. The most important thing about Joshua chapter 2 is God and the God of all surprising grace. That's why the author puts 
central her confession of faith, which reaches a high point in verse 11. At the end of verse 11, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is the central section. So please, guys, but please swear to me. Well, that's another thing, right? Well, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So, I mean, there's another thing. I mean, how can this, you know, how can a... Forget about the deceiving, but how can a, you know, how can a prostitute be welcomed into the church? Have you read the Gospels? Have you come face to face with the biblical Jesus? The answer is a prostitute and anybody else cannot be welcomed into the church. But anybody who repents of their sins and places their faith in Jesus Christ is by grace made a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through His blood. And it's so funny. It's like like with Noah and the ark. Get into the ark. Stay in the ark. You'll be safe. Safe. The Exodus and the Passover. Stay in the house. The blood is over the doorpost. Rahab. Stay in the house. You and your family. Use this little thread, this little line, this little cord. Yeah, but what about the uh, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is the story of a fate of an unlikely convert and of the God of all sovereign and surprising grace. I went to uh, Romania a couple of times when I was younger on mission trips. And so even though it's been a long time, I my ears perk up a little bit when I think about uh, that country that I visited. You've heard of Brother Andrew, perhaps. And if not, you're about to. He was a Christian missionary who smuggled Bibles into communist countries during the height of the Cold War. And he wrote a book, uh, an autobiography called God's Smuggler. God's Smuggler. And he tells the story of his first entry smuggling Bibles into communist Romania. Here's the story. Listen to this. The six cars in front of him had been inspected so thoroughly that one even had its engine taken, taken apart. He's trying to smuggle Bibles during the Cold War into communist Romania. And he's in this line waiting to go through the checkpoint. And, you know, the, the hope meter may be like somewhat high. And then it's just going down, 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 down. Because look what they're doing to these cars in front of me. Watching these intense inspections, he prayed, Lord, I know that no amount of cleverness on my part can get through this border search. Dare I ask for a miracle? Lord, let me take some of the Bibles out and leave them. Listen to what he said. Let me take some of the Bibles out and leave them in the open where they will be seen. Then, Lord, I cannot possibly be depending on my own stratagems, can I? You know, you don't always have to do that. That's what we might say through the Holy Spirit and through prayer he decided to do in that moment. Lord, what if I just put the Bibles on my dash? And by the way, some people deal with the whole lying issue of saying, maybe if you're in a 
real crisis, maybe you actually don't lie. That's one thing you can do. I will be depending utterly upon you. When it was his turn at the crossing, he got over the border in less than 30 seconds. The guard only looked at his papers and waved him through. Maybe the uh, guards were so tired from spending an hour dismantling the previous guy's engine. I don't know. But it's a true story. It took him less than 30 seconds. He prayed about it. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a story. It's a true story. It's not like, oh, well, Rahab lied. Let me go lie. And he did this and let me do this. And, and, we, and we go to the Bible and we get wisdom from constantly pouring over the scriptures. And, and, our, and it's like John Bunyan said, you know, if a mosquito bites you, he goes away and your blood is so bibline. You're so filled with the Bible. And so the point of, of this story is that even as followers of Christ, we, we sometimes we, we take risks. Risk is not always a bad thing. Appropriate risks. And, and the point of this story that I just told is, is what? Is to trust God in the face of great odds. To trust God in the face of great odds. And we see, we see Rahab doing that. We We see the point here being the faith of Rahab, but even that's not the point. The point is Rahab's God. And the surprising sovereign grace of God who rescues sinners like us. Well, very quickly. And you don't have to turn there. When we look at the New Testament, we learn this, and I'll give you a few quick lessons and then we're done. When we look at Joshua chapter 2 and rest of the whole Bible, in light of the whole Bible, when we look at Rahab in light of the whole Bible, then we learn this. We're reminded that faith apart from works is dead. How important, how important are works in the Christian life? I didn't say to be saved. How important are works, good works, in the Christian life? Answer, massively important. Remember, remember that faith apart from works is dead. So James says this, listen, James says, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You tell me that you're a Christian, but your life gives no change whatsoever according to Jesus Christ. According to Scripture, the church has every reason to question your profession of faith if there's no change whatsoever. Grace changes sinners. Does not make them immediately perfect, but changes them. Do works matter in the Christian life? Yeah, big time. James chapter 2. And we've already seen this. We've already seen this from from Hebrews, the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. The whole world, apart from the whole world, Look at me, listen to me. The whole world apart from grace, and that's you, if you are here this morning, 
apart from Jesus Christ, you're already on your way to hell. You're already, John chapter 3, under the condemnation. You're already under the wrath of God. And you can't do anything about it. God must intervene because we are hell-bent on doing our own thing. And we're hell-bent in shaking our fist in God's face. And we say, give me what I want. And ultimately, he does. But faith and repentance, my friend, must be yours. The Holy Spirit doesn't believe for you. The Holy Spirit doesn't repent for you. You, because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and only because of that, you must repent of your sins and put your faith in God. And it is God who enables you to do that, as he did with Lydia and as he did with Rahab. It is always by faith and faith alone. The issue is always faith. And if you, and if you have true faith, then it will spill over into works. And then don't forget Matthew chapter 1. That's probably the best thing of all. Is that in the genealogy of the perfect, spotless, sinless one, Rahab, as you know, is not the only shady lady. She's not. There's Tamar. You, you, you read, what, what, there's five? There's five of these shady ladies in Matthew chapter 1 who are ancestress of Messiah Jesus whose blood and whose blood alone atones for sinners. The issue is grace. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. God's grace to dying sinful wretches like John Newton like John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, who was snatched up by God, like Rahab, who was snatched up by God, a lying pagan prostitute, Rahab the saint. Every Christian is a saint through Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll, and then we'll come to the table together. Let's bow our heads, and let's take a moment. Would you need to say something or something quickly to somebody would you do that very quickly and then let's just stop and pray on your own let's pray silently as we prepare for the lord's supper and that can include asking god to help us with the confession of sin Lord, please do help us because we confess that even our confession and repentance as Christians, as your people, is, is oftentimes lacking or non-existent. So we need your help that you would lead us in the confession of our sins. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation.
Lord, have mercy upon us. And you have, and we thank you. Lord, apart from, apart from you and in and of ourselves, we, we only deserve your, your wrath. But Lord, that's just the thing. We thank you that as your people, we, we are never apart from you. And that's just the thing, Lord. We thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation. And so, Lord, help us to daily confess our sin. Help us, Lord, to daily pray, forgive us our trespasses. But help us, as one man helpfully tells us, that every time we look at ourselves, help us to look to Christ and to the cross ten or a hundred times. Oh, Lord, deal with us. Lord, please help us not to play games with you, for you are holy. You are not, a, you are not some gentle great-grandfather in the sky who is too weak. Lord, you are powerful. We pray again, Lord, that we would see your power and your mercy demonstrated most clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us as your people, even as we were singing earlier, speak, O Lord. Search us. Lead us. Help us as Crossway Church, Lord. Help us as a church not to, not to play games. Lord, help us not to be at church for 70 minutes a week without being in your word and being with the people of God and to think that we're okay, Lord. Give us revival. Give us awakening. Give us brokenness. Give us humility. Lord, don't leave us. Don't leave us. Lord, for college students who may be straying from you, grip them, Lord. Grip us, Lord. Help us. Have mercy upon us. Wake us up to your wonderful compassion and to your love. Lord, help our hearts to be melted through the love of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.